Welcome to Sense by Meg Forer, the podcast that's brought to you by ParentSense, the app that takes guesswork out of parenting. If you're a new parent, then you are in good company. Your host, Meg Forer, is a well-known OT, infant specialist, and the author of eight parenting books. Each week, we are going to spend time with new mums and dads just like you to chat about the week's wins, the challenges, and the questions of the moment. Subscribe to the podcast, download the ParentSense app, and catch Make Here every week to make the most of that first year of your little one's life. And now, meet your host. Welcome back, mums and dads. It's just absolutely awesome to have you join me here on Sense by Meg Fora. I am Meg Fora, and I'm going to be your guide today as we chat with Tove, who is a mom to a new baby. Now, if you can hear some little grunty noises in the background and even some sounds of other people talking, that's because we're actually talking to Tove today in the neonatal ICU in the hospital where her little baby Nova is. And Tove works alongside me actually in Parent Sense. She is our head of corporate relationships and of business development. And she's been working with us for the last year on our app um, and has also appeared once before on our podcast. So if you haven't heard the story of Tove's journey pre Nova, you can go and hear the episode on the Juggler's Reel. We chatted to Tove about a year ago. And subsequent to that podcast, where the juggle was really real because she had two little ones, Tove then fell pregnant with a third baby. And we're going to talk with her today just about what that journey has been like and what has led up to her being where she is today, which is sitting in a neonatal ICU, which they actually call a skaboo because she's based in the UK in Jersey, Channel Islands. So Tove, welcome today and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Meg. So the last time you and I spoke, you told us about Gray and Baby Jagger. So let's start there. Let's start with your other two little ones and just give the context into which little Nova has been born. Sure. So I've got a four-year-old, Gray, who's special needs. So kind of developmentally, we're kind of more around the 12-month mark. And Jagger, who is now about 15 months and I guess part of the journey and, and part of what we've picked up from other families that are kind of in, in the special needs space was that building an infrastructure and a tribe around Gray would be very valuable and it would be wonderful for Jagger to have a sibling that he can share his journey with as well. And um, so enter baby Nova. <laughs> so she was kind of planned. Timing. Um, <laughs> was, the timing, was the timing what you had planned? Yeah. No. I mean, my husband doesn't like me to say that she wasn't planned because he's like, you're going to give her all kinds of issues. I was like, well, she's got to give her something to go to therapy for. Um, <laughs> so she definitely, she was she was in our thought, our Petri dish of marinating and thinking we should do a third. But I don't think I would have had the courage to do a third. So I feel like the universe kind of took over and, and made her happen. <laughs> so, so it was a bit of a surprise. And, and how um, old was Jagger when um, you fell pregnant with Nova? My gosh, um, I found out in June. So uh, must have been about September, seven October, months November, old. December, January, February. Yeah, seven, eight months old. That's mm. incredible. So a mom of a seven-month-old <laughs> falling pregnant again. And you're, you don't love your pregnancies, do you? No, no. I have the hypermesiasis or whatever that horrible thing is called. So 22 weeks of nine hours a day of vomiting and snacking and then just being uncomfortable and having heartburn. And yeah, pregnancy is not my friend. So was very distressed when I found out I was pregnant again and I think you know especially if you are a mom who has shitty pregnancies 
your time that you have with your other two kids is then never as good because you're sick and you're uncomfortable and you're trying to balance work and the things that you have to do with them on top of then trying to play with them and still be their mom and fun and you you have no fun left in yourself so you, it really is a digging deep process um so I felt a bit sad for Jagger because I felt like he missed like time that I should have been awesome and fun but um mm. yeah he, he will survive <laughs> and <laughs> he he'll have okay and you know, it's so interesting that you talk about that because there's so many things in life with our children that we think, oh, you know, that this child didn't get this and that child didn't get that. Yeah. But there's always a the opposite of it, which is there's so many benefits. So yes, Jagger might have missed out on some one-on-one time with you. I mean, particularly being that nervous come quite a bit earlier than we expected. But yeah. he's got the blessing of a, of a sibling who is going to, first of all, be very close in age to him. I mean, are they going to be a year apart yeah. in school, I think? Yeah, I mean, it'll be literally be a year apart. Yeah. Mm. So they'll be a year apart in school and will be very, very close. And that's going to be a big blessing for him being that Gray is, is you know, so developmentally challenged and maybe wouldn't have been yeah. the same playmate as certainly Nova's going to be for him. No, absolutely. I mean, she doesn't play with him at all. And we definitely mm. seen he's a social kid. He loves that interaction and he loves being played with. And he loves having friends over and doing those kinds of things. So I think, you know, as you said, they'll kind of have each other mm. and also hopefully rally around around gray which will be lovely so you had a caesar planned for next month actually because you had two previous cesarean sections and tell us what happened how far along you were and tell us what it's like to have gone through a very early labor very unexpected yeah yeah so nova was kind of planned for the 2nd of march her birth date was the 8th so they caesar in the uk on 39 weeks we obviously had a very busy trip in South Africa for two months before that with our families. We, you know, we knew getting passports and stuff here is always a bit challenging. So we kind of took a good two months in South Africa from November to <laughs> literally just before Nova was born. Um, and I think we, it was a lot of running around and family time and busyness. And I think it felt like quite a tricky, like an uncomfortable pregnancy, but nothing you know, as I said, pregnancies are my friends, so not wildly, you know, anything that flagged as abnormal. Although I think anyone who's flown back with two children under the age of two would also say that the flight back was relatively harrowing. So maybe that's what brought her on early. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, we got back like last week, Thursday, and then Thursday evening, I am... Um, a week later. So it wasn't that night later. that you got back. One week later. Yeah. One week later... I'd been to the hospital here, had done a check. The doctors in South Africa had said to me, she's quite big. She's baking nicely. We would take her out a little earlier. We'd take her out at 38 weeks because your placenta is starting to plastize or castize or something. There's some white dots and she's big. And so you're healthy. You know, she'll probably stay in the big babies don't like to come out was what I was told. Went to the hospital here on the Tuesday. They checked. They were like, everything's fine. Don't panic. We'll see you in a month. And Thursday evening, I started getting contractions. Um, so how and far I was, long are you now at this point? Was was that 30? 33 weeks and two days. Okay, wow. No, 33 okay. weeks and one day because okay. she came the next day, mm. which was two days. So started getting some contractions, but I was like, oh, you know, maybe it's just really intense Braxton Hicks. My husband's obviously traveling in South Africa, so he wasn't with me either. And I was like, maybe it's just you know, it's been busy settling back in, getting the kids sorted, unpacking bags, you know, all that stuff. So I was like, man, it's just probably really intense Braxton Hicks and 
my body's, you know, hasn't had a huge amount of time to recover from Jagger. So maybe I'm just reacting a little bit more mm. intensely, but I did contact my nannies and some friends and just say, listen, please <clears throat> have your phone on in case. I think I'm being a bit dramatic, but my husband's not here. It's like just in case anything goes wrong and I need someone to sit with the kids. Can you just keep your phones on? And you know, seven o'clock, I went to try to go to bed and at about 12 o'clock, it was still going and they were, you know, five minutes apart and they were, they were not getting any less in severity and they were very consistent. There was no like, you know, Braxton Hicks, it goes on for a little bit and then it kind mm. of, you walk around and it stops. Mm -hmm. This was just three hours of nonstop contractions. And I was like, no, this is, I'm contracting here. So I phoned the hospital and I was like, listen, do I, I have an appointment at eight o'clock. I was supposed to come in for some fasting test or something. I was like, can I, can I come in at eight in the morning? I'm just letting you know that this is happening. They were like, no, no, you need to come in now. <laughs> I was like, that seems very inconvenient for me because I have to call someone and I have to get a taxi. And they were like, um, it may be inconvenient, but we think you should come. <laughs> so I um, called a taxi, got some one of our nannies to come in and sit with the kids. And I just said, to her, oh, look, I'll be back in a few hours. I didn't take my hospital. I hadn't packed a hospital bag because no. I was not due for six weeks. Yeah. Um, and I was like, this is just, you know, probably a little bit of a moment. It'll be fine. Got to the hospital. They checked me, you know, put the heart rate monitor on. Mm -hmm. um, and oh. they always go like, the baby's fine. And I'm like, yes, that's lovely, but I am not fine and not comfortable. So can we <laughs> assess how I'm feeling? Um, so I always love it when they do that. They go, yeah, but the baby's fine. And you're like, yeah, no, that's great. That's, um, <laughs> I'm, in, I'm, also, I'm in pain. Yeah, there's also a vessel here. And I'm like, can mm -hmm. I have some drugs, please? And they're like, yeah, I think let's just monitor this for a while. It's like, ugh. Um, so yeah, so they just put me on the monitor. She was fine. They checked if I was dilating. I wasn't dilating. So they were like, it's not active labor, but it is contractions we can see. And the contractions kept ramping up. At about one o'clock, pop us one, they were like, look, they are very intense. Let's give you a set of steroids so that if she does come early, her lungs are in a better position. We need to do mm. two sets of steroids. They need to be 12 hours apart or six hours, 12 hours apart. So they gave me a set of steroids at pop us two in the morning. And then they were like, we need to try and push you to last until 2.30 tomorrow afternoon so that we can give you your second shot of steroids. And then if she comes she's got a good chance of not having to be on breathing apparatus and mm. whatever. So I was like, that's fine. They gave gave me the steroids, which if anyone has had steroids, it is like the most horrible injection ever. You know, everything really? stings for like 40 minutes. It's horrible. Oh, I hated wow. that. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. Um, so that was not fun. But contracting the whole way through, gave me some morphine because the contractions were just kind of ramping up and up and up. They gave me a bit of morphine and said, look, try and sleep. And then you know, the doctor's coming around again at like eight and then we'll assess and see where you are. And I think between quarter to eight and quarter past eight, when the doctors got there, I went into screaming labor. Wow. <laughs> then the screaming started and I was like, something is not right here. Yeah. And then they checked me and they were like, no, you're like six centimeters dilated. We need to make a call now. You got to go in. They obviously don't want you to do natural once you've had two seizures because of the scar tissue or something. And also there was just a lot of people throwing a lot of information at me and I was just like, mm. go. So obviously not the most ideal situations. My husband wasn't there. 
which wasn't great. I think the labor part was fine, but they threw me, like they were asking a lot of questions about what to do with Nova when she was born. That must have been you know, if scary this, being on your own. Yeah, if this, what this, if that, what that, plus mm. like, what do you want to do about the labor? Do you want to go now? Do you want, I was just like, so that, that was quite a lot to kind of navigate. But we fine. I was just like, do whatever you need to do to keep her alive and make her comfortable. If you need to formula her, if you need to, whatever it is, just do it. And I said the same thing about me. I was like, just keep me alive. Like, I don't really care. If you need to seize her, if you need to, they were like, we might need to put you under completely. I was like, you need to do what you need to do. Just do it. And the only thing I was a bit paranoid about, which is probably because I watch a lot of crime stuff, was I was like, please don't let my child be swapped. I was like, please, I need to see her. I need to see the tag. Because usually, you know, the husband follows the baby. So you like make sure that your baby's not being mixed up or like you get given the wrong baby. That's a real thing. It happens. You hear these stories. So when I eventually got in, they whipped me in. They whipped whoever else was supposed to be in out. And they were brilliant. Within 10 minutes of me saying, go ahead, we were in the room. And once they gave me the epidural, I was very relaxed. And and then I could see her and I was like, please bring her to me. Please label her foot mm. so I could see it. Please make sure she's... And then obviously they took her off. It was obviously compared to the other two was a, a really sad birth in many ways because you don't get to hold her mm. afterwards and you don't get to have that moment of straight afterwards there you know my son and gray lay on me and then i never left me where with her they were like oh look here she is like then then just took her away Mm -hmm. so there was like no time to kind of connect or feel her or Mm -hmm. have it on me and you just have like tens of doctors around and you don't hear anything and you kind of like what's going on what's going on they're like no no it's fine which you're like well obviously you're going to tell me it's fine you're not going to be like she did so they took her out and she cried, but it was kind of one little cry and then it was very quiet. Mm. Um, so I, I assume it's because they had the breathing apparatus on her, but I couldn't see anything. So I was a bit mm. like, <gasps> um, so I kept the, the anesthesiologist was really good. He kept kind of going over and, and saying, she's fine. They're doing this. They're just weighing her. They checking this. And then he'd come back and tell me, and then he'd go back. You know, so he he kind of was my eyes and ears, mm. which was really kind, but still, you know, not having that moment was definitely very strange. Um, mm. You feel quite disconnected from what's happened to you. Like mm. it all feels very surreal and yeah, just weird. Yeah, sure. So she was then taken off to the skaboo while they fixed you up and you then saw her a little later. Yeah, so then they kind of took me to recovery where I was, oh, it wasn't long, I think I was like 15 minutes in there. And then they took me through to the ward. And then obviously I was like, well, what's happened? Where is she? And they, they're very good. They they take, what they do is they take photos of the baby as soon as she's out in the skaboo and they bring you the photos so you can see a picture mm-hmm. of your baby, which is I don't know if that's like a milk thing or whatever you need to get the milk <laughs> or the colostrum coming in. Mm. And then about half an hour later, they kind of came in and said, look, this is what's going on. This is the process. And because I'd obviously had a Caesar, they wheeled my bed through to Skaboo so I could just see her and see where she was and meet the team and understand what was going on and understand what their process was and what did this mean. I'm sure I was probably pretty high. So I I felt very relaxed about it all. I felt like she was in good Mm -hmm. hands and I was in good hands. But I think as the adrenaline wore off and everything calmed down, realizing that my baby wasn't with me felt very Mm -hmm. strange. 
and quite unsettling. What was very kind is they put me in a ward um, so they don't have private rooms in the hospital. We're in Jersey, but they put me in a ward where there were no other babies. I saw someone come in with a baby. I was like, oh, I don't have my baby. Yeah, yeah, interesting. The sound went a little strange there, but we managed to get the gist of it. What really was quite evident from what you said was that there's a different emotional journey I mean, there's a different everything journey to this yeah. journey compared to the other two, but there's really a different emotional journey here as well. Maybe a little bit of letting go, releasing control. What what other things were you, yeah. you know, if you look back now, I mean, it's still very new, but what, what sort of emotional journey have you been through? Yeah, I think the, I think the lack of control, like, is definitely you know, your baby, this is your baby you've carried, that kind of separating from you, you feel a bit, yeah, it felt, it felt quite surreal. And I, and I think, I don't know, I mean, I'm sure everyone responds differently, but I, I'm very much a, my first is special needs. And so we spent a lot of time in hospital. And so I'm very much a fight, fight and flight mode. And I think I get, I get very much into fight. And so I just you know, get into like, go, go, go. What is the plan? What is the system? What are we going to do? What does this mean? Mm -hmm. How do we get, you know, how do we get out of here? And this plan. But I think when you realize then you get all those plans in place and you understand what's going on and you read up and you're now an expert and you know what you're doing and where you're going, but then you're still sitting and you don't have your baby. I think when I was discharged, I really struggled being discharged Mm -hmm and leaving the hospital without my kid and leaving my kid with strangers mm. where you like, okay, like her well-being is dependent on a bunch of people. I don't know. Mm. And I'm not there. And so like, I keep bringing them food and chocolates. And I'm like, please, if you love me, you'll love my daughter. Like, you know, yeah. it's a very weird feeling. And also then to be told how to parent, if mm. you've had two other kids, you know, I knew how to feed. I, I knew what I like to do, I know my time, I like to wake up with my kid and how I like the routine I like to build and all of that you you let go of because you're mm. now not in control and you're working at her pace, but you're also working at a hospital pace where there's NG tubes and there's a whole different process of learning to feed and build them stamina. And it's just, it's. I think especially if it's a journey you're not prepared for, which I'm assuming most preemie journeys are, mm. It's a lot to digest. I imagine if it's a first-time parent as well, it's very overwhelming. I feel like second time, you've learned a little bit with your children that you have no control. So you're slightly more prepared for the lack of control in your journey. But I think the the emotional, the letting go of, of leaving her in a place mm-hmm. has been very tricky for me. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. That really speaks to, I think, what it would be a similar journey for a lot of prem mums. And then, of course, there's a journey for Nova because your journey has not been typical and you've experienced, you know, and you've really articulated very beautifully what that loss of control is like. But, of course, Nova's journey has been very different as well. How have you experienced it through her eyes? And and do you have concerns about what she has experienced, particularly on a sensory level? Yeah, I mean, the, I mean obviously, working with you and having my other two children very much since baby trained and had it having worked very well for me. It was obviously a massive concern to be in a hospital room where there's noise and lights and other babies crying and machines beeping every five minutes. And there's like no sensory control. There's no quiet time. 
with my music going and my lights and my lavender oil burning in the background, like <laughs> all of that has gone out the window. And so it's how do you, you know, bring in those elements in a space where they're like, you can't put that blanket on her. You can't swaddle her. You can't mm-hmm. do this. And, you know, how do you, how do you try and control that environment as much as you can knowing how important it is to setting them up and, and stabilizing them in a space where you, you're not allowed to do so much. So I guess that's more a question for you. What would you advise, you know, me to do in terms of kind of controlling or adding value to her sensory space? This episode is brought to us by ParentSense the all-in-one baby and parenting app that helped you make the most of your baby's first year. Don't you wish someone would just tell you everything you need to know about caring for your baby? When to feed them, how to wean them, and why they won't sleep? ParentSense app is like having a baby expert on your phone guiding you to parent with confidence. Get a flexible routine, daily tips, and advice personalized for you and your little one. Download ParentSense app now from your app store and take the guesswork out of parenting. I think that a couple of things, and you know, it's very specific to the skaboo and the neonatal ICU. It really isn't something that can generically be just rolled out because every skaboo is different depending on how many babies and the experience of the care and also the country that you live in. It can also be very different. I mean, certainly from my perspective, it's always worth thinking about the baby's senses and, you know, the senses, if, if you kind of t- take your, yourself through those different senses, you can start to think about what needs to be done. One of the things which I've actually seen you doing is on the sense of smell. I've, I've seen when I visited you that there was a little teddy tucked in between your breasts, picking up your sense and that having something that smells of you close to hers is actually very important. So having a little teddy in, in the skaboo with her or in the isolate with her, did they allow you to put that in the isolate with her? Yeah. So they gave me a box when I had her, it was a skaboo box and in it was, you know, a bunch of like toiletries because obviously most preemie moms are not prepared, which I definitely wasn't. I had nothing. And and then some clothes for her. And it was these two toys. So one I could keep and just keep alternating them in and out for her to have my smell. So that was, was one of the first things I did when I got that. Um, just knowing the, the sense way I was like, oh. I need her to smell me. She's not going to remember. She does. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, that sense of smell is so pervasive. And the other sense that's so pervasive is, of course, the sense of touch. And, you know, that's Mm. so pervasive because it covers her entire body. So, you know, you were wanting to her to have a positive touch experience. The touch experience in the womb would have been really tight, deep pressure, neutral warmth, always the same temperature and absolutely no light touch. And obviously one of the things that happens in the neonatal ICU is that there is light touch because there's a lot of care procedures that need to be done that that include light touch, just things like touching her to remove a needle or to remove one of the little sticky pads. So on that level, you want to really focus on doing kangaroo care and the fact that she's everyone can hear her is because she's up against your chest so kangaroo mother care is just an incredible strategy you know it gives them neutral warmth it gives them deep pressure it gives them a sense of your heartbeat and your smell and so kangaroo mother care having your baby naked against your chest under a cover is something that is definitely recommended and i can see that that's something that you are able to do there 
another thing that you would be wanting to look at is to just really use a lot of still touch. So when you do touch, it's, it's deep touch pressure and still touch pressure as opposed to moving your hand around a lot. Is that something that they've also recommended there? Yes, actually, that was a really good point because I think the first thing you want to do is kind of stroke her, um, you know, especially when you're reaching through the, the NICU unit, you don't have the ability to kind of pick her up and hold her. Mm-hmm. So you kind of end up feeling like you were stroking her hand or stroking her foot. And I noticed when I first did that, she was very like, like fidgety, like felt very uncomfortable. And then obviously chatting to you. And, and chatting to them, they said rather do, you know, deep pressure, just hold her, put your hand there solidly, which is, is definitely something I wouldn't have known to do. So that, that was very helpful. And she seemed to be a lot calmer when I did that with her. Excellent. And then also another piece around touches to create boundaries. And very often we'll actually roll up a towel and put it underneath or around her head or underneath a sheet with a sheet over it or in some form create a boundary around her head or around her feet so that she pushes up against something is that something that they've done in your neonatal ICU yeah so what they've actually done is they scooch her to the bottom of the cot as well so her feet are touching touching. the the bottom of the cot and then they put like as you said like a rounded up blanket around her head so she's got something touching and pushing on her head excellent yeah so those are definitely things we've noticed yeah and then there's also the other sense of touch which is so critically important is is the sucking and you know our babies derive enormous comfort from sucking in utero they suck on their hands they suck on the umbilical cord they suck on their arms and it's also important that they have non-nutritive sucking soon after they're born because it activates their peristalsis and also helps them to learn to feed properly. And I know that on day one, I think when I came to visit you, we spoke about giving her a dummy um, and that process was then activated, wasn't it? Yeah. So that, that I mean, that was unbelievably helpful because it's not really something that they recommend in the UK. Swaddling and dummies are not things that they're very pro but when I actually went to the, the natal unit after chatting to you and said to them, look, can we get her sucking? Can we get her a dummy? They were like, oh, that's amazing. Yes, we'd love to do that. Like most parents don't like us doing that. So I think it was really interesting for me that it wasn't offered as a strategy, that it was for me to go and find out that it was something it could do. But they were very relieved when I said, can we do it? Because they were like, that's so great for her. It's part of building up the stamina and teaching her how to suck so that she can latch when we start trying that journey. Mm, Exactly, exactly. Well, that's wonderful that they've done that. And then the last thing that I would just mention in terms of the sense of touch is obviously swaddling. And that's quite an interesting one because I really am a very strong advocate of swaddling, as you know. I think it gives deep pressure. It keeps little ones really nicely contained. And of course, for the prem baby, it would also be important. But for most of them, they've still got wires and tubes and, you know, they they need to be monitored. And so for many of them, they're not swaddled, certainly while they're in the skaboo. Have they started swaddling her or is that something that you haven't had yet? So literally today has been the first day I've seen them have her in a swaddle. I was very relieved that, you know, I don't know if it's because she's starting to pull her cord out of her, her nose, the NG tube out. I think they also said, they mentioned to me that it's because she's moving out of a hot cot mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so she's regulating her own temperature mm-hmm. and so they're more comfortable swaddling her now right. than than what they were before. But it is definitely not a philosophy that the UK follows. Mm-hmm. So I know when I had Jagger at home, my midwives were very anti mm-hmm. the swaddle approach. But as you said, I love it. It worked mm-hmm. beautifully with Jagger and it's definitely today she's been 
a lot, lot calmer. And I just pulling that NG tube out alone is just horrible to stick it down and put it back mm -hmm. in. It's really like unsettling. So I think swaddling her for me is an absolute no brainer. Yeah, um, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So there you've got the, kind of the sense of touch. The sense of sight is an interesting one because be, depending on the age at which your baby is born, they have the risk of damage to their retina if they have very bright light. So they'll often actually with the very early prems cover their eyes, which because she wasn't a very early prem, she probably didn't have her eyes covered. But another thing is just to keep the lights dim in the ICU. Now, a lot of the ICUs really battle with that because they need the light in order to see what's going on around them. But the idea here would be to keep bright lights away from your little one, turned off you know, as much of the time as possible. And then even if she's in a closed incubator, to actually cover the top of the incubator with a towel so that any lights that are in the space actually are more muted. What did they do while she was still inside the hotbed? Was it a covered hotbed or an open <clears throat> hotbed? So when she was in the incubator, they had uh, like a very heavy weighted dark blanket over the incubator, which was gorgeous because it was dark in there. It was almost like a soundproof blanket as well. I think it cut out a lot of the noise. It was really Wonderful. lovely. Wow. So I thought that was really good. But they, mm -hmm. when they moved her out, obviously you're super excited when they move them out the incubator because you're like, yay, progress. But then they put her in a hot cot and the hot cot is wide open, right? Mm -hmm. It's just the mattress. Mm -hmm. So there's no way to darken it. you in the open air of the skaboo. So you're hearing everything, you're seeing everything. They've been pretty good at keeping the lights dim. It's feels a little bit like a casino when you're in there <laughs> when you're going and spending long stints in there it's like really hot and they like plow you with drinks obviously they're not alcoholic but plow you with like tea and coffee and and it's like dark and hot and you're just right. like like time never changes like it just all looks the same there's like no natural light like it feels very strange in there so they, they do have like a little bit of of darkness but as you said you know there were some twins who came in two days ago and it was chaos. You know, there were lights going and machines going and radiologists coming in and scans and noise and it was hectic. So, you know, it's it's one of those things where I think they try and do that as much as possible. But it's, you know, as you said, they need the light and they need and every now and then it's very bright, very noisy, very busy, which is obviously kind of shitty as a parent when you come in and you're like oh I just want my kid to be in a peaceful environment mm -hmm. this is not peaceful and that's probably all. I guess where the 80 20 rule comes in that 80 percent of the time they're trying to do it by the really the ideal book in terms of your baby sensory world and 20 percent of the time we've got to relinquish control and understand that things are yeah. going to happen and so it, that is that for those of you who are listening to this and who are not aware of this sensory developmental care that Tove and I are speaking about and you're wondering how you get hold of this information we have an incredible course on the parent sense mm. app that looks at your prem baby sensory world so definitely go ahead and have a look at that and then also in one of my books called your sensory baby or the baby sense secret there's actually a chapter on the prem baby as well so those are two resources that is really worth having a look at because it really would be very helpful for you to understand a little bit more about your baby's sensory world I found it very helpful you know we're talking about the relinquishing control element mm -hmm. where you're sitting in your bed and your baby's far away and you don't really know what you're doing I did the course the online course on the app and obviously read that chapter that you gave me make which made me feel a lot more empowered to be able to actually go to the the nurses in NICU and say can we give her the dummy can we wrap her like mm -hmm. this and have something over her head 
and actually prompt them to do some of the sensory things that they maybe weren't necessarily doing, but that I wanted in place. So just kind of knowing what is allowed, but also like what is valuable for, for what you want for your kid and actually asking for it kind of made me feel like I had a little bit more control or, and I think it also helped them take me a little more seriously. Like I knew what I was talking about and I was a little bit more read up and wasn't just being bossed around by people yeah, <laughs> and told yeah. what had to happen. Well, there's there's not an interview that it has a victim mentality, so <laughs> I'm not surprised that you took some element of control even when you were fully out of control. So it's just really remarkable, Tove, to to hear about your journey. It's a journey that is increasing for many mums. More and more babies are be, being born premature for many different reasons, not least of which fertility treatments and multiple pregnancies. So mums, if this has your, been your journey, I hope that you have found today's chat with Tove super useful. I certainly have, Tove, both just looking at the emotional world of the mom of a prem baby and also looking at what we can do in the neonatal ICU. We are going to be speaking to Kath McGaw, who's a pediatric dietitian on our next podcast, all around feeding for you and for the prem space. And moms, if this is your journey, do go and listen to the next podcast as well. It is focused on establishing feeding in the neonatal ICU with your prem baby. And that should be super, super useful as well. So Tove and little Nova, who we can hear contributing every now and then. She is just <laughs> such a little angel. Quickly tell us before we head off, why the name Nova? Well, was a high meal fiend possibly, but um, no, we, <laughs> I mean, she kind of, she very much burst on the scene. We struggled with the name. Um, and actually one of my nannies came in to see me and she said, oh, she burst on like a star. She's like a Nova. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. That is quite yeah. apt. Um, and that's kind of where it, it landed. We felt like she she kind of chose it herself. Clearly is doing things to the beat of her own drum. So we're all just spectators here. That's <laughs> oh, wonderful. Well, you are so much more than a spectator. You are a very... <laughs> A really, really incredible mommy, you know, nurturing her, focusing on establishing your milk supply while at the same time understanding that, you know, you've had to relinquish control. You're not exclusively breastfeeding. There's no way you can because, of course, she's yeah. too little and not strong enough to do that. But also just being there for her, kangarooing her for as many hours of the day as you do and as you can. And so for all of these things, I think that you are really giving her the best start that she could have under the circumstances. Thanks, Meg. Well, it's it's very helpful to have you you on the team. <laughs> <laughs> well, take your time, heal with her, enjoy her, and look after yourself, Tove. Thanks so much, Meg. We'll chat we'll soon. Chat. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks to everyone who joined us. We will see you the same time next week. Until then, download ParentSense app and take the guesswork out of parenting.